Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Um, Today, we are jumping into the next part of our Integrated Self series. And today, I am so excited to be sharing this time with Andy Kopler. And Andy is a licensed professional counselor and author of the critically acclaimed TriSofter. She has received additional training in her specialization of trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. Andi regularly speaks at local and national events, and she has been a guest on several podcasts, such as The Lazy Genius, Typology, Go and Tell Gals, and The Next Right Thing. As a survivor of trauma, Andi brings hard-won knowledge about the work of change, the power of redemption, and the beauty of experiencing God with us in our pain. So welcome to the show, Andi. I'm so honored to have you join me today on this podcast episode. And I would love for us to start our conversation by hearing a little bit more about your journey and how it intersects with therapy and theology. Well, thank you so much for having me and just for creating this space. It's really good to be here. Yeah, a therapy and theology. Gosh, what an important intersection. For me, you know, I think it's been a long, long journey of learning what does it look like to be a person who is a follower of Jesus and also a person in my own story who's experienced complex trauma, who works 
with trauma survivors, oftentimes folks who have pain that is not simple, that is pain that is not healed by checklists or easy answers. And so for me, you know, it has been, uh, I remember, so I did go to seminary. I went to Denver Seminary. It's been, gosh, I think 14 years since I've graduated. But one of the things I remember one of my professors saying is, um, theology is the journey of asking who is God and what is God like? And I think that that is such an important question. <laughs> when you are a person who's trying to move towards wholeness. And, you know, I always honor, I have folks that I work with who've experienced religious trauma, who've experienced different things. So I try to be really mindful that this isn't about pushing this question, but it is honoring the reality that it often is a question. And I think that's how we're made. I mean, I think we are designed to be curious and to say, why are we here? And what's this about? And who made the stars in the sky? And for me as a therapist to notice, wow, like when I do certain types of like trauma therapy and I see someone go through a breakthrough, you know, that person may not even be a Christian, but I in myself say, wow, God, wow. Like, look how you made us. What a beautiful design. And so I think that question is just interwoven. Those That perspective of theology is so much more than just like this factual, what can you prove to me about God? Or what are all the, you know, points that make your coherent argument? Now, not to say that there's not spaces to have those thoughts and discussions, but it's like an embodied theology. Yes. A lived experience of the creator of the universe, of knowing the creator of the universe. And so for me, that is how I think they most intersect, is the desire and the movement towards the God who made me. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And how does that connect to maybe your work? And I know you've written Dry Softer, and we're going to be talking today about your newest book that just came out. For you, where do you see that intersection or your journey to getting to the connection in your books? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways I've really thought about this, and this is one thing that was really helpful for me, especially in seminary, was having spaces to say, how does my faith and my theology integrate and how can these integrate? And that certainly has been a journey that has like it's not been stagnant. It's like, I think, you know, over 14 years, it's a moving journey. But what I would say that one of the things that I have held on to the whole time is that there is a reality in which my faith is a part of what makes me who I am. And so everything that I do, whether I'm explicitly talking about God or not, comes through the lens of the integrated, God willing, the integrated self, the integration of this is a value and a part of who I am and how I see the world. And sometimes that can be more explicit. And sometimes that's not always. And I think that that's okay. I think that's the skillfulness of doing good work is that we both, especially as a therapist, it's vital that I attune to the client in front of me. Yeah. And what might be th helpful and therapeutic for one client may not be for someone else. And we honor that. We honor the unique personhood of the person in front of us. And yet in my own self, 
it's like recognizing that the goodness of God is where healing is rooted from, like the author of healing. And so when something is good, I'm like, that's from God. If that's good, that there is an author of that goodness. The design. Yeah, the designer. Well, I love how this is going to be connecting to our discussion today because we are in a series called The Integrated Self. And we have been exploring the connection between self-awareness and spiritual formation. The self-composed, as we've been talking a little bit about, the heart, the mind, the soul, and now the strength in is made in the image of God to know and be known by God. And so yet, like we've just acknowledged, the brokenness of our reality, through this brokenness, we have in many ways become disengaged or disintegrated from ourselves. And we have had to learn to disconnect from our emotions or our needs. Thus, in many ways, I think losing our sense of true self and the reflection of our creator. And so yet scripture, I kind of keep going back to this invitation of scripture when we see this separation of self and what the scripture invites us to is to bring our whole selves to God, to experience an abundant kind of life, one that is defined by our belovedness and our belonging to God. And so this is the basis for both knowing ourselves, as we've just said, and for growing in our knowledge and love for God. And so, Ani, with you as our guide, I'm so excited to be diving into the exploration of the part of self we identify as strength what strength actually is, how we maybe can see it in a different way, and how we steward it as an embodied resource for emotional and spiritual healing. So with that being said, onto your newest book just released this past week. I'm so excited. And can you just share a little bit more about Strong Like Water and how it connects to the process of healing both emotionally and spiritually? Well, so, you know, part of my story is that I have long had an ambivalent relationship to my own strength. Growing up, part of how I survived a fairly traumatic childhood was by, you know, in Trey Softer, I talk about through the lens of white knuckling, but just generally also in Strong Like Water, I talk about it like I was the strong one. And so in many, many places in my life, I was viewed as being very put together, very like sort of almost the attitude of like, even if things are hard on these, fine, like she'll be fine. You know, I was a successful athlete, you know, a successful student, various elements of my life where from a outward measurement, you're like, they're good. They're going to be just fine. Right. What folks didn't know was that that was how I was coping with trauma. And again, it's not to say that some of what I gained from that, like I do value and it was rooted in a lot of defense mechanisms and knowing it wasn't okay to need anything. It wasn't okay to say, I don't feel safe. Like I don't know what else to do. So it was like, you just have to do whatever it takes. And that just happened to be my particular path. But I think for other people that can look different. Right. Like it can be more someone who's fading into the background. It can be someone who, you know, leans towards everything's a fight. It can be there are so many ways that we learn to survive. And so for me, my journey towards writing strong like water has been very much about getting curious with this dynamic in myself, this capacity to be both very fierce, you know, that there's a sense in which 
in order to survive, I was like, I have to be fierce. I have to from a place of survival almost. And so I think especially the last decade, I've wrestled and rumbled with what does it look like to develop this softness in myself? But then also, what do I do with all this fierceness, this fire that has lived in me? And my own journey has been, you know, I think participating with God in moving toward a deeper wholeness of recognizing first honoring the survival. Like I do not shame my younger self. I am so proud of her. She lived through some very difficult things. And it is the grace of God that our bodies have the ability to adapt to trauma. That is, in my opinion, the grace of God. And the journey of healing is helping our bodies have what they need as they're ready to come out of survival. Or what in the book I talk about that as situational strength to move towards a more integrated, a more holistic, and in a practical sense, that means literally means coming out of only the survival brain, coming into the fullness of ourselves in a way that I think allows us even to interact with God differently and have our eyes open to God differently. And so it's been this journey of like, it's like, I think of it a lot like a dance. It's like, I want to honor that pain And at the pace we're able, that we would gain the safety to know in an embodied way that we don't have to stay there as we know it's over. We can come to a place of knowing like we are loved. Like I am not alone. Here are the things that are now available to me. And I think that can really impact how we live, how we show up in the world. And so it really has been brutal at times. (laughs) to do this work. And it's also been so deeply satisfying to invite this sort of all these forms of strength sort of home to myself and with God and to say, what if it wasn't just about surviving anymore? Yeah. What if that strength and that fierceness could now be in service of wholeness in a way they were never able to be when I was younger? kind of like a strength that can acknowledge the needs that we maybe couldn't have within context that weren't safe, right? To have that. I think of so many of my clients that say, well, I have to be strong, similarly to what you just said. And it does in some so many ways disintegrate us from the other parts that need to be comforted or need to be nurtured, et cetera. And so in your book, you specifically talk about the flow of strength and these different types of strength, situational, transitional, and integrated. Can you explain a little bit more about this for those who are going to hopefully buy your book and read more about it? But can you just give us a little taste? Yeah. So the flow of strength is this concept I sort of coined for this book, because as I was thinking about this journey with strength, I think one of the things that was important to me was to communicate that the goal, even though integrated strength is so valuable and important, The goal is not necessarily that we can always be in integrated strength. I wanted to create a more expansive definition of strength. And so the flow of of strength is my attempt at that, to say that our bodies 
when our body perceives that there is danger, and particularly when we perceive that the threat is so significant that we might have to go to a place of like like a trauma or a stress response, we are likely in situational strength. And so that really is marked by survival energy. And from a neurobiological standpoint, that means we are in the lower part of our brain only. And that is significant because if we're only in the lower part of our brain, we don't have the capacity to bring in things like our prefrontal cortex that helps us to sort of navigate and decipher, is this a good choice? What are the long-term consequences? Is this in alignment with who God made me to be? Like none of those are available to us when we are in survival strength. And yet, survival strength is very important because there are times in which we really need our bodies to adapt instantaneously to threat. And that can be as true as like a car is coming and I need to move without thinking. It can be true when you are in a, a chronically threatening situation, like it psychologically literally may be not helpful actually to go into your full brain at that point, because maybe you'll get stuck and what you really need to do is actually just survive. And so our bodies are designed to sort of know this. There's this wisdom here. And, you know, I think what's hard is, is that for folks who might have like things like unresolved trauma, we sometimes are in situational strength when we maybe don't need to be. Maybe we are not always accurately because of past unresolved pain, we may not be accurately perceiving the situation at hand. And so a lot of the work of Strong Like Water and the flow of strength is actually helping our body to come in alignment with the reality that's actually in front of us. So on that flow of strength, as our body perceives, we might have a little bit more safety. Maybe it's even, you know, in an example of, you know, someone in being in the middle of the street and they almost get hit by a car. They, their body acts instantaneously and then they begin to come back into themselves in a way. And they're noticing like, oh, my heart is racing. That was really scary, but I made it. That cue of safety is a cue that we're coming into that transitional strength. It's a sense of like, maybe there's still a little bit of that fleeing energy, yeah. but our prefrontal cortex is coming back online. And we're able to observe like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'm going to be okay. Figured that out. And then as your body settles and you process it, you might continue to move towards an integrated strength, which looks a little bit like being able to say, wow, next time, maybe I'll make sure that I look both ways first. Yeah. But, you know, mistakes happen and it really is over now. And I feel pretty neutral about it because it's okay. Like, I just feel grateful and it's over. Like that would be like a very, you know, like specific example of moving all the way through that flow of strength. But for folks who, for example, have a lot of unresolved trauma, we may not always go all the way through the flow all the time. We may have to spend a lot more time building resources and safety before our body is able to go all the way to integrated strength. That's a really helpful way of putting it, I think, for so many people who maybe align a lot with situational strength and are wondering, oh, I have to get to, it's like the start and finish line where in reality, it's this process of the ebb and flow, so to speak. 
And I think that's really helpful. And it creates so much compassion for our experiences. And, and like you said earlier, honoring that storyline, whatever that past may have been. And so you've spoken specifically before about the window of tolerance. And I think this really connects specifically in this conversation to those who might not be familiar with this term. Can you explain it a little bit more and then how it helps people move along this flow of strength? Sure. Yeah. So the window of tolerance is just such a helpful, important concept. I use it a lot in many of the things that I talk about and and work with. And it was an idea really originally coined by Dr. Dan Siegel. And then a lot of the ways that I talk about it is also really influenced by the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, who developed polyvagal theory. And so essentially, the window of tolerance is a range of arousal in which we can feel our feelings have an experience or a sensation and our body can stay like it has the best opportunity to stay integrated. So it's like that prefrontal cortex is available. It's also like past experiences where you've maybe like successfully felt a feeling or you dealt with something hard. Those are available to us. Now, it doesn't mean this isn't magic. It's not like because it's available that we will always utilize it. That there's still like we still have a will and we still have to have intention within this space. But it's sort of like it's a possibility there. But when our body perceives that we are experiencing some kind of threat, and it's important to understand it's about perception. So it could literally be a threat, or it could be that our body is simply the information that's coming to us is causing us to believe that we are experiencing a threat. But either way, it's valid because that is the way our body's interpreting it. And so when that happens, typically our body will first go into the sympathetic nervous system. We will begin to go out of the window into the sympathetic nervous system, which is typically marked by things like fight or flight and some parts of fawning, which is essentially like over accommodating, like sort of a hyper vigilant need to accommodate you because I'm worried, like I'm fearful of what will happen if I don't. So it's very like mobilization centered. It's like there's energy there. If our body perceives, oh, this isn't going to help. None of these responses are going to allow me to successfully neutralize the threat. We will then go down to the lower part of the window of tolerance, which is marked by things like freezing or dissociation, numbness, could look like depression. It could look like feeling sort of outside of yourself or sudden exhaustion. And what's important to understand on that side is that it's marked by conservation. Our body has decided mobilization won't help. So now we have to conserve our energy in some way. Right. And there's a whole spectrum there. Like it could look as much as like you're just really exhausted and you're like, I don't want to do anything all the way to being like you could lose consciousness if your body perceives the threats is severe enough. So the window of tolerance is so helpful because essentially the bridge to the flow of strength in the window of tolerance is that anytime that you are fully outside of your window, you are in situational strength. And then the way I theorize it is that when we get to the place, there's this little narrow edge at the top of our windows or maybe the bottom of our windows. And this is what I theorize as transitional strength. 
I kind of talk about it like you sort of have one foot in situational strength or survival energy, but the other foot is in your window. And this is the place where a lot of beautiful, important work happens. Oftentimes, this is where I find people are when they're in therapy, because this is where we're sort of observing and with the pain, but we still have access to some safety. And so that's that transitional strength. And then the window of tolerance when we're firmly there, it's often marked by like, I feel like myself. Yeah. Like I have choices. I know maybe I have a sense of like who I am. It's not that things are perfect, but maybe I have some clarity. I remember the ways that God has been with me. You know, like some of those, like very, there's a grounded clarity. Yeah, that's what I thought of that word, groundedness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of times what I think of with the integrated strength, that there is a sense of groundedness there. And so that is a lot of the ways that these two concepts intersect. That's a really, again, I think... For people that maybe don't know this concept, we can, by putting names to it, can really help us then say, okay, well, yeah, I am maybe for some of you listening, like, oh, I see myself being in situational strength a lot. How do I learn this flow? Is there a process for creating maybe a larger window of tolerance or being able to practice moving into transitional and integrated strength? And you talk about specifically compassionate resourcing. And in a spiritual context, I think this can be really helpful when we look at secure attachment to God as a resource to us. How do you see this becoming a helpful concept when it comes to building our integration of the strength and the flow of strength? Yeah, yeah. No, this is such an important concept. And one thing I'll say about compassionate resourcing is that it's sort of like with the flow of strength, the mechanism that moves us. I theorize that as compassionate resourcing. And what I mean when I say that, because I know that that might sound like an abstract idea to people, because <laughs> I think it would to me too. <laughs> Psychologist that I really respect her work, Dr. Arielle Schwartz, she talks about resourcing as anything that communicates safety to our body in the present moment. So it's not just a memory of safety and it's not a cognitive knowledge of safety. It is a embodied sense of safety. And so this is important because if we go back to that example I gave you with moving out of the way of the car, in that case, the compassionate resourcing, like it happened so quickly that you're moving, like it's already happened. But the resource there is the recognition that you moved out of the way. It's like, oh, my body did that. That's a cue for safety. And the more that you're like, oh no, I moved out of the way and I'm safe. And it's over now. In that situation, all three of those are compassionate resources because what they're doing is it's almost like little streams feeding into the flow to say, it's okay. You don't have to stay in survival. It's over now. You can flow in a different direction now. And so when we think about this through the lens of, you know, faith and spirituality and secure attachment, I mean, there's a couple of things I'll say. One is, you know, I talk about in Strong Like Water, I really encourage folks to really get curious about first just assessing, like, are they experiencing God as safe? And that might sound like a loaded question because I think like maybe it even sounds scary if you were to say, I'm not experiencing God as safe. 
Like that might feel scary to think like what I actually feel is like I'm just waiting for God to get mad at me. Or I'm just like wondering, like, have I done enough for God? Are you happy, God? Like, you know, there's that like anxious or, you know, there's so many versions of ways that we may cognitively connect with the fact that God is safe. And yet in our bodies, that may not be also true. And so I want to acknowledge that because I think that it doesn't undermine that you have a faith in God. And it doesn't change God's posture, I believe, to us. I think that what it does is it gives us a cue of where to start. Because if we are not currently experiencing God as safe, we want to listen and honor the information of our body. Because it's just, I think of, so I'm a mom, and I think about my kiddos. And I think about how if my kids are not currently experiencing me for any reason as safe, And I force them, like I'm like yelling at them because I need them to think that they're safe. I'm like, oh my gosh, that completely undermines safety. That doesn't communicate safety. That is its own form of harm, you know? And I think that's true of God, right? Because God is the author of secure attachment, (laughs) I believe. And so I think that acknowledging our own posh, like, Let's say you've experienced forms of spiritual abuse, or maybe you had attachment figures that have been really unsafe for you, and that feels very mixed in with how you've experienced God. Partly just honoring that, I think, goes a long way. Because what we're doing is, is we're not pretending anymore. We're not saying, hey, you're in survival mode, and I need you to act like, you know, you're in situational strength, and I want you to act like you're in integrated strength. Because this is a form of spiritual bypassing. That's right. And spiritual bypassing will not get us where we need to go. And I think there's a form of faith in believing that God will meet us where we are, even if where we are has to be adjusted in a way that feels like, oh boy, this is weird. Like the only thing that feels safe to me right now is to go outside and notice how beautiful the trees are and think, yeah, God really made that. And maybe God made that for me. Like maybe that is the only thing that right now you can receive from a place of groundedness. And if that is where you are, then we honor that. Because it's only when we acknowledge the start that there's anything to build on. And so when we look at this from a spiritual place, I think I encourage folks to get curious and compassionate about that, to to say, to assess like what is working like really if we're being really honest what is actually communicating safety from god to my body to me right now and what would it look like to either continue that to build on that in a way that feels tolerable to my body so i think for different people that's going to look different i bring up getting outside cuz i find that first of all you know nature and creation tends to be a place where, first of all, God is here. Like, you know, we're not trying to work to be like, okay, God, now you're outside with me. Like, no, no, no. God is here. God has created this. And it's more about, I think, adding in the safety so we can see it. Yeah. And so in a way, it's like that sacred and secular conversation that there is no sacred and secular. God is here. And even with other resources that are not always overtly spiritual, 
I think that when we acknowledge that God's the author of goodness, like that can be a way in which we receive from God, like, like a friend that allows your body when you're with that friend and you're like, wow, I haven't felt this much like myself in a really long time. Like that can be a way that God is ministering to you. You know, when you hear a song and your body is like, there's an opening in you, that that is a gift from the God who loves you. And so certainly also, you know, we have our more classic ways that we think about faith, like scripture reading. And I think breath prayer can be a really beautiful resource. I think that, you know, when you find a hymn, you know, even a worship song that is singing the words that mirror your cry to God or your thanks to God. I think those can be really beautiful. But I just do want to open that up because sometimes I think it's really easy to get very narrow. But we serve a God who is big and able to use all of the resources available to help us heal. That is such a healing way to put it. Thank you, Andy. Like I could talk about that particular thing and concept of attachment and security with God in this process of healing all day long, because I think it it's what so many of my clients who come into spaces and acknowledge, you know, their church hurt and the religious wounding. And it is just, we always go back to, it's just not safe. God doesn't feel safe. And how we have to start there. We have to honor the story that brought us to that knowledge of God or that experience of who we assume God to be. And I talk a lot about that. And so I think it can help so many listeners to recognize first we honor that and name it and then acknowledge where do we see God in security and how can we build that? And that can help us integrate in such a different way than just, you know, be strong in the Lord. Those those cognitive mantras or that language that just feels really disconnected from an embodied experience of who God is can be really helpful. And I would even just add that sometimes that actually can keep us stuck longer. Yes. Right. Because yes. spiritual bypassing, maybe at some point that served us in some way. Maybe it wasn't safe to acknowledge the pain or that there was a fear that maybe God won't meet me or maybe there was, you know, forms of weaponization of faith. And so that just felt like that was the only way. Right. But if we can zoom back from a very practical lens, it really can be like, you know, a way in which we are going to actually stay more stuck in that situational strength because it's not communicating safety to our body. And without safety, I really don't believe that we can move out of that survival. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in all of this conversation, I feel like there is this reiterating theme of this creating of safety and embodiment as we become kind of aware of an integrated view of strength. and. If there is one piece of encouragement or even like a simple practice that you would offer um, those listening today, just for those who are starting this work, maybe, or having a really difficult time with this work, what is some way that they can learn to embody this type of strength in a new way? Yeah. I mean, there are a couple practices that I think are a really go-to, like my go-tos, especially kind of early on in our journeys, because I think that there are practices that as we get a little bit more skilled can be really helpful. But it's almost like if you jump too quickly, 
that can be too fast for our bodies, you know? And so folks may have heard of some of these, but I also like think it's always good to start with things that just are, are very good skills to learn early on. And one of the ones I share, people might have even heard me talk about in other places, but is grounding. And so that's using our sensory information, our five senses to come immediately as much as possible into the present. And the reason is, is because oftentimes, God willing, the present is actually safe. And obviously there are some exceptions to that. And there, you know, there's different things to be done if you're not actually safe. But so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do grounding. But one of the things I say is that, again, if you can get outside, like, let's say you're noticing, like, I am really like mostly in situational strength. Maybe I have the tiniest bit of transitional strength, but I'm like mostly. If there is any way to get outside and literally like use your five senses as much as possible, like touch it, you know, put your hand down and touch the grass, hold some rocks in your hands, you know, take some breaths and notice like, what are you smelling? You know, what are you observing in your immediate, like what are like five things that you're noticing in your immediate space? Any of those things, it might even for some folks sound a little bit weird, but what is important again is that this is a compassionate resource. And when we are really in a situational strength, we are not in a place to be like, and what is the meaning of life? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not there. We can't go there. We that's need right. to get small and particular. Yeah. And that's where I like, I think grounding can be such a great resource. Another resource that I think that I think is a beautiful path into this work is self-compassion. And there's lots of different ways that we can practice self-compassion. But, you know, one of the things I talk about in both Strong Like Water and in Trisofter is that in a way it's like participating with God. It like we're stewarding the compassion God already has to us as a way to offer that to the parts of ourselves that might still be hurting. So a really simple self-compassion practice you know, is to think of someone in your life who you feel compassion or maybe from a body sense, like you feel a softness towards them when you think of them. Like you don't want them to be in pain. Like you want them to be okay. And as you do that, to really notice in your body, like what are you experiencing? You know, for me, sometimes I think about like there's this image I have of my daughter where she like had this really hard day at school and like just this posture of like, oh, I don't want her to be hurting, you know? It's like you want to like notice that in your body. And I oftentimes as I do this, folks probably can't see, but I'm putting my hands on my heart just as a way to connect. I'm noticing that sensation in my body. And it's almost like I want to just invite you to see, could you place an image of yourself alongside the person that you have compassion toward? And would it be possible to direct just a little, even if it's only a little, of that compassion you have towards that person, towards yourself as a way to say like, yeah, sometimes people make mistakes. Yeah. You know what? I am in process. Yeah. You know, I did the best I could. It's things that help us to understand like we are imperfect and yet we are loved. I love both of those are wonderful and such embodied ways of experiencing that opening, both just of God's compassion for us 
and the ability to be in our bodies, right? This whole, I, th- I think it's a holistic view of our strength is our body, right? And it's listening and honoring our bodies. So Andre, thank you so much for just sharing today, for walking us through this and guiding us as we are all learning and all in process of becoming more whole and knowing ourselves and knowing God. And so I'm excited to be able to encourage those listening today. Um, pick up Andy's book. It's out. And if there's anything else, Andy, that you want to share in just about the book before we close, yeah. please do. Yeah. I would just say, you know, if folks are interested, I have some different resources at ondicolbert.com. You can find me on Instagram at ondicolbert.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your lunch week. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarcoyer.com. Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.